This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Morris, welcome back to Better Reading. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. Always a delight to be here. It's fun, isn't it? Um, We've already been doing some um, pre-podcast giggling. Um, Most people will remember you. In 2003, Heather was introduced to an elderly gentleman who might just have a story worth telling. The day she met Lali Sokolov changed both their lives. Lali's story formed the basis for The Tattooist of Auschwitz and the follow-up novel, Silka's Journey. Phenomenal success followed. In 2021, and we'll come back to the phenomenal success, in 21, she published the conclusion to The Tattooist trilogy, Three Sisters, after being asked to tell the story of three Holocaust survivors who knew, who knew Lali um, from their time in Auschwitz. Together, her novels have sold more than 16 million copies worldwide. Her latest novel, Sisters Under the Rising Sun, is a story of women in war, a novel of resilience, bravery, friendship in the darkest of circumstances. Now, I'm going to say this. Let's Mm -hmm. see if you can remember. We got sent a proof of this. It was in the office. Do you Mm, remember this story? I do. One of our guys read it and loved it. And then... A journalist came in, an ABC journalist came in and he gave it to the journalist and said, read this, and we loved it. And then you came in and you were so nervous about whether it's going to sell, the tattooist of Outswitch. Oh, yeah. You were so nervous and you, well, you and I were talking about it. And look what happened. Who could have thunk? Who could have? Tell me the journey from there to now. Well, crazy. Here I was at the when the tattooers came out. I was 65 years of age. It was retirement time, technically, mm. for me. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the plans had been made for this retirement, which, mm. as you can imagine, totally went off on a different tra- trajectory altogether. Absolutely. So and here also, I am five years later and five books later. Is it only five years? Yeah, 2018. Yeah. yeah, wow. And with the tattooers, you had already started telling the story through a screenplay, hadn't you? Yeah, this was me thinking I was smarter than I really was. Right. I never thought we I could write a book. That. Yeah. <laughs> well, I knew I didn't have the ability to write a, a novel that was way beyond my ability, but I could learn how to write a screenplay because it came with a formula and directions and follow those, do the online courses, and Bob's your uncle, you got yourself a screenplay. Yeah, wow. How naive was I? Well, you weren't that naive, because look where you are five years later. True, but not with a screenplay. (laughs) Trust me, it's taken three screenwriters to turn that book into a miniseries. Not one, not two, but three. 
What what were you? I can't remember, and I I, I know this because we've spoken before, but I can't remember. So, what was your career largely? What did you work? And by the way, it was Hugh Remington who we're referring to. It was to. Hugh Remington. There yes, you go. it was. Good, Darling good man. call. Yeah. Good call. That's right. And it was um, Jack in our office who gave the proof coffee to Hugh. Fantastic. Yeah. Forever in your debt, Jack. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Um, he's out there book reviewing, I think, at the moment. Now, I want to go back. What was your career? Largely. Well, for 20 years, I'd worked in Monash Medical Centre in Melbourne. It's a large uh, public hospital in the social work department. So you've worked in that. What then made you think that you can write? What, what, what did you, how did that go from that to writing? Well, about 20 years earlier, I had decided that, you know, the kids are growing up. Um, it's no longer, hey, mum, can you drive me somewhere? It's, hey, mum, where's your car keys? Yeah. And I got to that point, which I hope every woman can get to when you're still in that sort of late 40s, hitting 50, where you say, hang on, I've still got a lot of life left. I'm going to be a little bit selfish and find something that I want to do for me. Uh, I didn't know what it could be. I always loved movies. My husband and I were always going to movies. So you love stories. So I just thought it was about, well, let's try and find a stories to write. And I'll learn to write them as a screenplay. And that's when I started doing the, the online lessons and the weekend workshops and, and learning about screenplay writing. And how did you find the story of the tattooist? Because one of those fortuitous times when a friend had been bugging me to catch up for a coffee and I'd been putting her off, because I actually lived out of Melbourne a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to go back down, as we say, down the mountain to go to, on my weekends was something I avoided. But I did agree to catch up with her and to have her just casually say to me while I'm sipping my latte, by the way, I've got a friend whose far mother has just died and his father has asked him to find somebody he can tell a story to. Do you want to meet him? I said, well, what's his story? She said, I don't know. I said, well, why me? And she said, because he wants someone who's not Jewish and you're not Jewish. Oh, wow. Extraordinary. And that was the start of it. Yeah. A week later, I knocked on the door of Lali Sokolov. Yeah, wow. Wow. So, tremendous success, right? Life-changing success? Oh, absolutely. How does that then feel to keep writing? Oh, it's a must now. It's in my blood. It's in, transported into my DNA. I don't know how that could happen really, Heather, because your DNA comes when you're born. But um, it's just something I know now I can't stop and I don't want to stop because mm. there are so many incredible stories. And I, I guess I'm lucky, though, Cheryl, because stories actually come to me. Mm. And having but do you these... think that that's luck or that's just being a good listener? A uh, bit of both. Yeah. Absolutely. You've got to have that capacity and that want to listen to the story. There's not much point somebody telling you a story and mm. you just getting the bullet points from it. Well, if I take it back to that hospital scenario with the room of four, there were some people that just didn't speak. Yeah. They didn't want to speak to me. That's fine. You know, absolutely fine. Yeah. And they wanted their curtain closed the whole time and that's fine too. But I often wondered what they were thinking about. Like, mm. isn't it a better distraction to hear somebody else's story? Well, for you and I, it clearly is. But, uh, yeah, everyone's yeah. different and you have yeah. to respect that. Oh, absolutely. And that was something I had to learn to respect mm. for all those years too, that mm. if uh, the person I was asked to speak to didn't want to speak, then that's fine. Just mm. let them know you're here if they change their mind. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Okay, so you you kind of became a full-time author, right? Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, a career change. 
Yes, because it's not. Um, I'm once again, and yeah, I use the word lucky mostly because you know that's what Lully used that word. Mm. He was lucky that he survived. He was lucky that he didn't get, you know, killed at any point in time when he was in Auschwitz. And for me, that to have these books sold into so many countries means that I just don't write them, and the publishers then send them off to be printed, and they get put on the bookshelves. I have all these amazing publishers in all these amazing countries around the world who, as they get them translated, say to me, oh, can you come to Romania? Oh, can you come to Poland? You know, can we have you in Oslo and Finland this week? Mm. And so for me, there I actually can run out of time to write because I absolutely adore all the amazing travel and people mm. I get to now meet. Mm. It's so different, isn't it, like um, being a writer these days. There is a personal connection. There can be a personal connection with a reader. Yeah, and you've got to want to put yourself out there. Mm. And I guess I'm lucky that I've, because I've been talking to people, it's been part or listening to people part of my life, uh, that for me, being put in that position to go and speak and listen to others is what I, I, I love. Mm. and what I want to do. Now, I have met authors at um, you know, the odd book festival here and there who just hate it mm. and they're there under sufferance mm. and they can think of nothing worse than mm. having to stand up and talk about their, their story. Uh, whereas authors, for me, hey, bring it on, mate. Yeah, a lot of authors are quite introverted, aren't they? You know, yeah, I mean, no. and, and also the job is solitary. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Whether coming to it as an older person when I had all that supposed maturity, if not maturity, guys, at least I had some life experiences, and the two can be the same, mm. uh, that I didn't have any sort of uh, concerns about putting myself out there. And, and you know, it was, for me, it's a matter of if you don't like what I'm saying, then you know, please don't come along. Mm. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Because you can right. imagine, with the <laughs> yeah. tattooists in particular, yeah. I'll be talking at events, not, mm-hmm. not necessarily in Australia, outside, where there will be people who will come there because they want to challenge me. They want to have a go at me. They're the Holocaust deniers who oh, think, okay, cool. here's my chance. So, Are there still those people out there? Oh, gosh, yes. Anyway. Okay. All right. Sisters Under the Rising Sun. It's a bit of a departure, isn't it? Talk to me about how yeah. that came about. I've kind of moved theatre of war. Mm. I'm still sticking with the, the Second World War, but I've changed up the theatre. And uh, I don't know if you've read the um, acknowledge. oh, no, the... Uh, the, the Dedication in the front of the book. Uh, by the way, folks, we've just been talking about hospitals and, and nursing and my dedication in this book, not because necessarily the nurses who are featured in it, but the many, many nurses I've known for many years, my dedication is to nurses, past, present and future, everywhere, mm-hmm. for the difference they make in the world. Oh, Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that the fact that the story has got these mm. incredible Australian nurses in it for me was such a treat. Mm. And I guess I got introduced to the, the the backstory or a little bit about it by my incredible publisher in London, Kate Parkin, who after Silka's story came out, was suggesting other things for me to look at, not knowing that the three sisters would suddenly pop up on my radar. Mm. So technically, this was meant to be my story after Silka. Oh, right. So three sisters intervened. Yeah. And then I started doing the research. And here's another one of those crazy, crazy incidents or things that happen in my life. I was thinking about it and doing a bit of research. And I was down in Melbourne visiting friends because I've kind of kicked Melbourne to the curb. Sorry, Victorians. And I caught up with a couple of friends from the hospital. We're having this lovely lunch. 
and they're kind of my my generation. And I thought, oh, let me see how much they know about the Australian women during World War mm-hmm. Two. So I said to the two of them, I said, look, I'm thinking about telling this story, and it includes some nurses who were prisoners of war by the with the Japanese. And one of my ex colleagues sitting there beside me went, one of those nurses was my second cousin. <gasps> I can't wait to say what. She said, yeah, Nesta James. She's, she's my second cousin. I grew up with her. Yeah. That kind of sealed it. She said, oh, I can tell you all about it. I've got the documents and all the stuff the family have. Mm. Extraordinary. So, yeah. I mean, you, coincidence like that, you've got to run with. Yeah. You don't yeah, sort yeah. of walk away from. So tell me about your writing style now, how it was and how different it is now. Because, you know, now you're an author, you're a writer, that's your career. Did is it? Does it look very different to when you started writing The Tattooist? I didn't have a clue on how to write a book when I wrote that. <laughs> I was just very... I knew you were yeah. going to say that. Yeah, I didn't because <laughs> I've never had a, a lesson. I've never been to a writing course mm. other than screenwriting, very different. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, how lucky was I to have publishers who, after trying to get me to write it as a memoir, as a biography and all these other styles, who accepted me saying, I cannot tell Lully's story the way you want it told. And they said, why don't you just write what you want? Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that was the big tick for me. Yeah. Having them trust the fact that I knew nothing about writing, I would go away and tell a story. Because, yeah, I might concede that I could be a storyteller. Yeah. And now um, somebody pointed out to me, and they were quite right, just a couple of days ago, that in this new book, she said, you've got a lot more dialogue in there, haven't you? And I said, absolutely, because I still see things visually. Yes, of course. They, all these scenes play out to me visually. Mm. And who knows, they may be out there somewhere. There's a, a production company or a producer who says, oh, my goodness, have we got a story here that can go to film? Mm. <laughs> Tell me about, you were saying earlier when you arrived at our office that you have been in the UK, you've been in London and you've been locked up in a hotel room writing. Tell me about that and that style of writing. Do you enjoy it? Is that, do you like having a deadline? Talk to me about that experience. I have never missed a deadline yet. Mm. Um, And that generally comes about where I might procrastinate and get slow, but when push comes to shove, I'll knuckle down. And that's what had been happening with this story um, up in Brisbane with my family and my grandchildren, and Mm. it's not progressing at the rate it should. So it was suggested to me that maybe you need to get out of town and uh, where would be a better place for you to be in an Australian summer, but in cold, wet, dank London. (laughs) <laughs> so I Where flew. you don't want to go outside. <laughs> yeah, so I flew there literally on the 31st of December. Wow. And so I saw about half a dozen New Year's come in. Yeah. I was, as I was flying over all yeah. these countries watching the New Year come in on CNN. And uh, I arrived there on the 1st of January into an apartment in Soho. Well, come on. The distractions in Soho are there as soon as you open your door or your window. But I was able to knuckle down mm. as long as at least twice because a day. Because it was cold out there. It was cold and wet. I got yeah. up and went for a walk around all the mm. beautiful streets and mm. places of Soho. Mm. Do you say to yourself in the morning, like in terms of your commitment to writing, I've heard so many versions, so many writers talk about, you know, that they give themselves two hours or three hours. Some go 1,000 words, 2,000 words. How do you approach it? None of the above. Okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> I what somehow, works, what works. <laughs> somehow I knew you were going to say that. If I get up in the morning and I feel like, oh, let's just sit down and do some work for an hour or two, I'll do it. If I don't, I'll go for a walk. Mm. But no, I, I have never been able to get into a habit, which yeah, it may not be a good thing, but mm. I guess as long as the work's delivered when you say it will be, how you get there for me doesn't matter just as long as I get mm. there. And you're like, do you plan where you're going with the story or you just write from, like are you are just beginning to end or do you write the um, end? I jump around a bit because I read, I read a little quote from the screenwriter. I shouldn't keep going back to screenwriter, should I? William Goldman. He wrote The China. Um, it's writing. He, brilliant, yeah. brilliant screenwriter. And he said that when you're writing a story that's based on historical events, research, 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 now throw the bloody research away and write the thing. Mm. And so when I'm actually writing these things, I don't have all these pages of research in front of me because if I haven't got it then up in my head, it ain't going to come out on the page. Mm. So I've got to be able to just write from what I've remembered and, of course, I'll go back and check the facts later on or use my wonderful editors to do that. But, uh, yeah, but I'll suddenly remember a scene that um, has affected me and it's still about five chapters away but mm. I just, I'm gonna go, I've got to write that because I'm feeling that right now. Mm. So I, okay. I yeah, jump yeah. around. You jump around. So you're in an apartment. Do you feel the pressure of being there? Like, okay, I'm here and they want something at the end of this? No, I don't actually. No. Because no pressure's ever been put on me. Yeah. They say, can we have it by this date? And I'll go away and I'll do it. And to me, That doesn't feel like pressure. It's not, never pressure for me. Yeah, wow. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that your style? Yeah, and look, you've got to be free, I suspect, well, I do, to be able to do it when you, you can, not be forced. Mm. I don't know what I'd do if I suddenly was told, mm. look, can you write sort of 5,000 words tomorrow on X? I'd go, oh, that's, now that's pressure. Mm. i go, yeah, not my preferred way of mm. doing things. Mm. And talk to me about what you did in London for those three months. Yeah, I may have hung out at Liberty and Selfridges a bit too often, but, you know, that's beside the point. Um, and I got to know the local pubs. There was one on each corner of the street I was staying at quite well. Yeah. Uh, Had you spent a length of time there before? No. No, yeah. I was always just flying sort of there for yeah. a week or two and travel on. Yeah. And did you, like, love it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I lived there for a few years, for three years, I think, back uh, years ago now, and I worked in a really big bookstore called Dillon's. It's no longer there. They've been bought out by Waterstones. Oh, but okay, I loved yeah. it. Loved it. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And I took, you know, in the middle of January, my editor and I jumped on a plane and flew to Jersey because that's where um, oh, one of the characters it. in the book is and we had to go back and, and see uh, them again. We'd been there in, I think, November as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the family in Jersey who you'll read about in the story, folks, are, are incredibly important to this whole story. And um, and then I had the the privilege in the first week of February. Oh, let's just jump on another plane and mm. go to Slovakia because they're about to start filming the mini series. And it's day one. Can you come and spend a week on set? And what mini series is that? Tattooist of Auschwitz. Can all we, filmed. All can, done. Can we talk about that? Can a little bit. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me what you can tell us. I can tell you that for five months, this incredible group of cast and crew. I uh, hung out in Bratislava and Slovakia on these incredible sets, some 300-plus crew every day, three, 400 Amazing. extras a day, and this main cast of incredible actors. And I got to spend the first week there in February 
Uh, then I went back in May and spent some more time there. And um, yeah, that's in post-production now and I think it's going to be a doozy, folks. Mm-hmm. you got a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of cringe factor in this one in the, for me. Right. Why? They're telling the story slightly different to the book. Yeah. But I had to, I approved it. Yeah. Reluctantly for my part, but for Lully's part, absolutely. Yeah. In that um, the, the part of Lully is being played by two actors. Right. Young Lully Young. Yeah. is being played by the incredible Jonah Howard King. Oh, wow. And um, for those of you who are saying, who's he? Just go and check out all The Little Mermaid. He's Prince Eric in the latest form of The Little Mermaid. Some could argue that he's too gorgeous, but no, he's a lovely young man. And Old Lully is being played by Harvey Keitel. Oh, God. And, of course, if you've got Old Lully in there, then you have to have the person that he was telling the story in there, and that is yours truly. Right. So to have the incredible Melanie Linsky playing me and... uh, is, is freaky. Yeah. And, but she's very, very lovely. She's delightful. She felt more threatened meeting me than apparently I did meeting her and intimidated. But we got on very well. And uh, Did she spend time with you because she wanted yeah. to know more about you in terms of research for her? Uh, yes, well. she'd seen everything ever sort of videotaped on me. She'd seen all that, but yeah. we did get to hang out. And same with Harvey. He had seen videos that I'd sent to him of Lully. So, yeah. and can I tell you, he has nailed him. Oh, I, get, I actually get incredibly um, emotional seeing him because mm. he um, he is just Lully. Mm. They've recreated and given me back Lully. Mm. From, from his accent to his mannerisms, mm. the speech, everything. But then, of course, Lully, um, Harvey needed mm. to know now, okay, now tell me about the real pan. So mm. spending several hours mm. with this delightfully charming... I was talking to um, an author the other day and he was saying whose books had been made into movies and quite successful ones, and we were chatting and he said that the way he his relationship with the films and the TV series are that, that they're cousins of the book. I, I like quite that. like that. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to pinch that. Yeah, that's Tim Winton. Tim okay, Winton Tim, was thank you. Yes. Yes, of course. And that made sense to me. Yes. Yeah. It's not a reproduction. No. Or an adaptation. No. It, it, it's it a is. Cousin. It's, it's, it's a close story. Cousin. And, yeah. And the way that they're weaving old Lully and, and my character into the telling of the story has just been beautifully mm. crafted. Mm. And do we know who it's coming through? Is it coming through Netflix? Yeah, or? no, it's coming through Stan in Australia. Oh. They've, um, it's Sky in the UK and NBC, Peacock in the US. Right, okay. Uh, and Stan is the partner to, to oh, Sky. Fantastic. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, definitely. Do you know when? I don't, I, I'm meeting with all the Sky execs in about uh, 10 days' time and I hope to be given a, a, yeah. a time then. I've yeah. been given roughly, but it's all been still just roughly. Yeah, super yeah. exciting. Okay, and so are we going to continue writing? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I know. You've found your stride, right? I have, and you know, I've now got to yeah. get out and, and promote this a story, this incredible story. And from that, uh, of course, I'll then start doing the European promotions as mm-hmm. they get it translated. 
but I'll be working in the background already. Already I know what the story is and already I've um, mm. sort of got research been happening actually for the last four or five months. Mm. So it's been um, translated into many territories and as you were saying, you've visited uh, a lot of the areas. Do you find that anything gets lost in translation? That How would I know, Cheryl? <laughs> <laughs> this is an incredible thing to look at a book that you're supposedly yeah. written and you have no idea what, in fact, is written in there. Yeah. I don't. No. And I actually caught somebody out, my Hungarian um, translator, the only instance of this ever happening, and, and I can say this because um, Laszlo, the publisher in Hungary, is probably not going to see this, I hope. Hi, Laszlo, if you do. But I was doing a promotion for the tattooist when it came out and I was at this big event in, in Budapest and there was this huge room that had about 250 people in it and uh, another room with another 500 in it that was being live fed into it. And I had a, this incredible um, local, she liked the yarn event of the a television in Budapest. She was yeah. doing the interviewing and my translator sitting behind me. And she asked me a question from the book that I didn't quite make sense. And I just turned to the translator and I said, oh, could you just ask her to repeat the question? And he said that. And as I turned round to look at her while she was asking it again in Hungarian, my eyes went past my um, translator who was sitting in the front row, Julia, beside the publisher. And all I saw was her head go down. Oh. And I kind of registered straight away that there was something here that I wasn't aware of. So I made up something. I said yeah. something and we moved on. After the event, when she could, she grabbed me and was so, so apologetic. She'd got caught up in the story. There was a character in it, I'm telling you, it's Schwarzhuber, who yeah. was the commandant of Birkenau. Yes. And she got caught up in him and she was doing her own research on him and she found out all these other incredible, interesting things about him. So she thought she would just insert them. <gasps> so she played a little bit willy-nilly with my um, with the story. Look, I just laughed at her and yeah. I went, well, the, the book's selling, so your translation is what's yeah. selling it. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so that's it. My only time that I'm yeah. I'm aware. So I, I, I didn't. It didn't dawn on me when we were talking about you travelling earlier that you would need translators in in all those oh, yes. re regions. Yeah, yeah, you do, and you're filling up halls. Yeah, some biggins. Yeah, wow, mm. extraordinary. Heather Morris, thank you so much. The new book is called Sisters Under the Rising Sun. Thank you. As always, my pleasure, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.